Welcome to the IoT Trajectory, a Logicalis IoT podcast series brought to you by Logicalis, an international IT solutions and managed services provider. Your host is Mike Trajecki. Logicalis is Vice President of Digital Solutions and Services. Logicalis has been delivering IoT and data analytics solutions around the world and providing technology solutions that help organizations realize the benefits and values of the Internet of Things. This podcast is sponsored by NetApp. And now, here is Mike Trajecki. Hi, and welcome to the second season of the IoT Trajectory. This is Mike Trajecki, VP of Digital Solutions and Services at Logicalis. Artificial intelligence, or AI, is becoming more and more of a reality in our world. We use forms of AI every day, from voice assistants and robotics, call centers, social media applications. But AI has not reached the level of sophistication that you might see in movies or read in books. In fact, some experts believe that we're between 30 and 50 years away from artificial general intelligence, commonly referred to as the ability for AI to have the capacity to understand or learn any intellectual task that a human being can. We're recording today's session on March 24th, 2020, and we're living in a not-so-normal time period. COVID-19, or the novel coronavirus that originated in Wuhan, China, is having a significant impact on the day-to-day life of millions of Americans and billions of people around the world. Researchers in the healthcare space are turning to artificial intelligence to identify ways that we can combat this virus. AI exists in more ways than people realize. It's used in a variety of solutions in data centers, in the cloud to simplify management of networks, predict failures, manage the movement and storage of data in public and private clouds. Joining us today on the IoT trajectory is Esteban Rubens from NetApp. Esteban is the leader for the healthcare AI practice at NetApp. He has been in the healthcare IT industry for 15 years at various startups, spent 12 years as a healthcare storage expert at Fuji Medical Systems. Esteban has a particular interest in the translation of machine learning into the clinical practice and integration of AI tools into existing workflows. Possibly my favorite part of Esteban's bio is that he is also a competitive power lifter in the USAPL Federation. Esteban, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Esteban, with this time we're living in and schools uh, being closed and businesses being closed, self-quarantines and shelter-in-place orders in at least five states as of the time of this recording, I'm hoping you're able to still get your workouts in. You know, I know for me, without travel, I've actually been able to schedule runs and my Peloton workouts into my day a little bit better than I was when I was getting on an airplane. So how are you and your loved ones holding up other than work? What are you doing to keep yourself sane? Yeah, thanks for asking. Weird times indeed. Hope all of yours are okay and everybody listening. And hopefully by the time some, some people listen to this, we may be past the, the worst of it and, and have emerged on the other side. Uh, yeah, we're doing well. We're holed up at home on the seacoast of New Hampshire. I'm really happy to have a bit of a basement gym. So, you know, squatting, benching and deadlifting are continuing. So that's extremely important to me. And, uh, you know, basement gyms have a certain je ne sais quoi. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not too uh, bummed out by, by that. I'm still looking forward to going back and training with my team. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been interesting. It's definitely been an impact. And uh, I had a post the other day on LinkedIn that was uh, pretty heavily viewed talking about, you know, quarantine closeness and how this affects not just, you know, 
us from being uh, confined into an office at home, but uh, also really being, you know, having your kids, your wife, your dog, your cat, your bird, your husband, you know, all quarantined in the same house. It makes it pretty, it's made it pretty interesting. So I'm glad you're able to get your uh, workouts in and continue to uh, continue to be healthy. So Esteban, you've been at uh, NetApp for, for a little while. Um, like every company out there, NetApp's having to take extreme measures to help contain the coronavirus. I read the CEO's letter about NetApp's response to COVID-19. What are you guys doing? How are you contributing to help fight this pandemic? First of all, I agree. I'm really happy to be at NetApp. George Corian is a great leader. Specifically for healthcare, we understand that, first of all, no one is selling anything right now, right? You know, we're just trying to support our healthcare customers in any way that we can. We're certainly trying to stay out of the way, be invisible, and uh, just allow them to do their jobs under extreme pressure. And that includes uh, doubling down on remote monitoring. You know, we have uh, a really amazing suite of remote monitoring products that allow us to make sure that people have their systems up. And of course, they need their EHRs, they need their imaging systems, you know, like PACs or radiology, their VNA, their vendor neutral archives, their risks for scheduling procedures, like all these things are really part and parcel of the modern clinical practice, certainly in great part of the world. So uh, ensuring uptime is is number one, uh, doing proactive maintenance. You know, we do this all the time, but we now have a specific task force for healthcare customers to make sure that we are even more aware of what's going on and, and uh, offering that kind of remote support. And then also uh, just, erasing any issue uh, in terms of maintenance contracts. Like no one cares at this point, you know, we're doing what we can. So if somebody uh, who has an NetApp device calls in, especially in healthcare, we're just going to do whatever we need to do to help them. And then we'll, we'll sort things out later on when things go back to normal. So really um, in, in summation, it's uh, about being invisible, doing whatever we can to, to keep the system working and uh you know if there's other things that that we can do to support healthcare customers at kind of more local levels we're doing that but just at a at a global scale that's what NetApp is doing yeah and that's and that's great and i'll tell you, you know, i think uh, you and i both know that this industry this kind of it industry is pretty it, it's a pretty tight knit group of people so I, I look at this and i see all the wonderful things that you know, NetApp is doing, uh, companies like Logicalis, my company are doing, it, it's been, it's been amazing to witness how we're putting people first. And I, I think it's great that NetApp is contributing to that. And, you know, for you, you know, you've, you've been at NetApp for, I think less than a year and you came over here to build this healthcare practice and you being just smack dab in the middle of this whole thing. You know, can you talk to us about what NetApp is doing? How are you guys using AI in healthcare today? We talked about it. It's not what people think it is. And it's not, you know, books and movies and, you know, they're happening in superhero movies and science fiction. So talk to us about how you guys are using AI in healthcare. Sure. For us, it's about enabling the right infrastructure to make the job of data scientists easier. So at the, at the heart of 
any AI project. And of course, you know, we use the term AI really in healthcare. We tend to mean deep learning more than, you know, sort of general AI. So for deep learning, you know, it's sort of artificial neural networks, you know, the different kinds of neural networks, like convolutional neural networks or what have you. And ultimately what the common denominator is, is the need for a lot of labeled data. So you need a lot of examples to train these models so that when you then expose the models to unlabeled data, they will make a, a good inference. They will tell you what the correct thing is. So, you know, the, the typical thing is, uh, I don't know, dog and cat pictures. So you train a model with enough pictures of dogs and cats with the appropriate labels. Then you show the system a picture with no label and it'll say, yes, dog or cat. Or, you know, if you're a fan of um, Silicon Valley, you know, the TV show, the hot dog, not hot dog. <laughs> and that's actually a very good example of that because exactly what happens. So in healthcare, of course, we have a huge amount of data going from EHR data that's more structured, even unstructured data in the EHR, like clinical notes, and then other very, very important uh, unstructured data like medical imaging uh, in radiology or cardiology, or really so many other areas of healthcare use imaging like dermatology, ophthalmology, gastroenterology for endoscopy. So I, I could go on and on and on. So, computer vision is particularly useful for this because uh, you can do things like uh, segmentation. So for instance, identifying uh, tumors or segmenting off, uh, I don't know, the ventricles of the heart or the liver to see how things are progressing, if there's growth or you know things of that nature. <clears throat> Other uh, tasks that are good are identification. So whether something is present or not. So these three broad areas, segmentation, quantification, identification, those are things that deep learning can do extremely well. But still, going back to the idea that you need a lot of labeled data, and of course, you need the right people to be you know, behind all of this. So the right people are data scientists, of course, working together with clinicians and with IT people, and you know, it takes a rather large village. Now, the, the thing is that we don't train enough data scientists. And data scientists, of course, are then in high demand and they command you know, good salaries. And most importantly, they want to do the things that they trained how to do. They don't want to be IT people. They don't want to be uh, supervising huge data move uh, jobs or uh, you know, things that are not really what they want to do. Yet, it turns out that in any project that involves uh, deep learning, not just in healthcare in general, it varies. You know, I've, I've seen uh, numbers go from 75 to 90% of the time is taken up by things that are really not related to the project itself, or rather they're not uh, data science specific. It's uh, what people call data preparation, data cleansing, normaliz normalization, data movement, data mining. So a lot of prep work, really. So the, the, the vast majority of the time uh, is, is consumed by prep work. And a lot of that is caused by not having the right infrastructure. So as an example, if you have a lot of data silos, right, which we all hear about, then putting a training data set together will take much longer than it should. 
So if a company can help uh, an organization get rid of some of those silos and, and, and have a unified, uh, you know, these are all loaded terms, but, you know, whether you want to call it a data lake or a data pond or whatever it is, like just one place for all the data, that will make the data scientist's job much easier. So where we come in as a data management company is as one of the legs in that infrastructure stool to make this whole process easier and better. So of course, you need three things. You know, the stool has three legs. You need data management, which is what we bring to the table. You need compute, which is typically what uh, NVIDIA will bring to the table. So GPU compute is pretty much undisputedly the, 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 the right way to go for this. And then the third leg is fast networking. So you need things like 100 gigabit per second networking, which used to be almost unheard of. And now, uh, you know, you can get a couple hundred gig switches for the top of your rack for, for this kind of project. And it's really not a big deal. It's not particularly expensive. Of course, it's not free, but it's not, it's not crazy. So we are a partner in making sure that this process actually flows more smoothly. And most importantly, enabling the data scientists and the clinicians who are working on, on these projects, whether it's in a, an academic medical center, a large company, a startup, a community hospital, it really doesn't matter. It all looks kind of the same. We want to help people get to the point in which they can do their jobs. We want to remove frustration from the process. We want to enable them to get to the point of, of actually doing data science as opposed to kind of spending all of that time dealing with reinventing the wheel with, with data management and movement. I've heard you talk about that quite quite a bit before, you know, around data scientists spending 80% of their time on those tasks that that really involve looking for moving and, and cleaning data. It's it's a big problem, right? Because we look at this and say, you know, if we're if they're not doing the job we've hired them to do, and they're not using that skill set to actually uh, build these deep learning models and look at how data can be used to do good things throughout the organization, then we're really we're really wasting a tremendous amount of resource, right? So, and I think you described that problem well, and I, I love the fact that you talk about NetApp being the third part of that stool, that data management side. And you look at the compute side of things with NVIDIA and then you know, the fast networking side, you know, Cisco is a pretty, pretty important partner for us. So we bring those things together and now we can, you know, we can move and manage this data and we can provide you know, fast networking and we can provide quicker responses to things like this coronavirus issue that we're dealing with today. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I think we, we have to be very clear. None of what I'm about to say is really anything about the heroic work that doctors and nurses and other clinical workers are doing today. So clearly that, that's separate. But it is true that, for instance, uh, the early uh, sequencing of that genome used uh, a lot of GPU compute. And then uh, Deep learning was very useful uh, for the NIH to identify some of the proteins in these uh, spikes that the virus has, which then turned out to be very important in order to develop uh, diagnostic tests and even uh, treatments. 
So yes, I'm not claiming anything kind of untoward, but factually true that uh, having this right infrastructure in place is helping fight this battle. You know, it's, it's, it's just one small part, but it is an important one because if we didn't have these systems set up with the right, you know, compute data management and, and networking, it would have been much harder for researchers to get to this point, right? To, to identify the proteins and you know, have that knowledge that is, you know, a necessary step to move forward for, you know, testing and cures. Yeah, and I, I look at this and, you know, quite a few of the healthcare leaders that I hear from and speak to are seeing the benefit of AI in this fight. But they're also now thinking about, okay, if I can use AI here, where else can I fit it into the organization? Where can I use AI in the organization? You know, where are you spending most of your time with healthcare leaders? What are some of the things that they're talking about and where you're guiding them and saying, hey, here's where AI can be used, not just in um, a setting where we're talking about you know, identifying, uh, like you said, proteins in the virus, but where, out, where throughout the organization are they using this in the data center, in cloud? How are they using NetApp for uh, this data management piece? Right? What are areas that they can benefit? That's a great question. First of all, the, the, the main idea is to eliminate silos, right? So you don't have all these disparate systems supporting clinical systems such as EHR, PACs, uh, even uh, billing systems or, you know, any number. There, that, that is a common problem in healthcare, you know, the, the sprawl of uh, systems, the sprawl of, of uh, applications that an organization have, it can be in the hundreds or even the thousands in the larger organizations. So if you have separate infrastructure for each application, which includes storage, then eventually you're going to have hundreds or thousands of different silos. And so you're not able to take advantage of that data for, for well, training models or ultimately to benefit patients and clinicians. So that is really top of mind, you know, trying to, to break down barriers, trying to consolidate uh, different applications and make sure that even within an organization, data sharing is possible. Of course, now we're seeing data sharing at a global scale that uh, had been kind of unprecedented. Everybody's happy to see that happening because it shows that it's possible and that you know, we really had a bunch of uh, sort of regulatory and, and other kind of maybe less uh, savory uh, reasons for, for not sharing data. And so this will be a good example that, that data can be indeed shared very, very effectively. So that is number one. So breaking down barriers, breaking down silos, and making sure that the data is all kind of in one place so that then you can use that data together that that's the whole really the whole point of this to to bring different kinds of data it's like fusion right you, you have all sorts you know if, if you only see the infrared or you only see the visible spectrum or ultraviolet well you're always missing something if you can put everything together it becomes much much more powerful the the, the, the amount and, and richness of that data does that make sense yeah and, and you know, I look at this and say, what, what a big impact this is going to have on the clinical side as well, right? So we've 
at how we can bring all this data together in a look in a single location, speed up access to that data, manage the data better. But, you know, how are we using that to make better decisions that affect a patient's health? Right? How are we implementing this on the clinical side? There are so many great examples. Uh, if you start out with EHR data. There's a lot that can be done that is being done already in terms of, for instance, early detection and, and warning for life-threatening conditions. One thing that a lot of uh, institutions are already doing is uh, early seps sepsis uh, prediction. So sepsis can be very serious, fatal for uh, especially ICU patients. Yet, if you can somehow know that a patient is headed in that direction, you can intervene earlier and change the outcome for the better. Well, it turns out that you can train deep learning models using uh, EHR data, you know, things like uh, vital uh, signs and uh, prior medical history and, you know, what, what uh, types of interventions that patient had before. And uh, the, the staff, the clinical staff can get uh, a warning maybe four, five, six hours before a patient is going to have that issue, and they can be ready, and they can even do some interventions to prevent that from happening. That is incredibly powerful. Uh, there are things such as uh, readmission prevention, you know, that goes more into sort of U.S.-centric uh, legislation and and reimbursement strategies, but that is important. You don't want uh, somebody who had a procedure to get readmitted to the hospital. Well, it turns out that, again, with deep learning, you can flag some patients so that maybe in some cases, keeping someone in the hospital for one or two days longer can reduce that risk of readmission by 80%. Or, you know, I'm, I'm making numbers up, but the point is it's very meaningful. It's not like a 5% type of thing, right? So those are just two examples. And one example that uh, I really like is there is a, in, in, well, the, the example is using deep learning to combat uh, burnout. You know, there is a lot of burnout uh, in North America, Western Europe, in Asia. Clinical uh, staff, doctors, nurses, others, they um, are really having a hard time. There's just too much requirement on their time. They have to spend too much time uh, entering stuff into different kinds of systems. And well, it, it seems to be fairly well accepted by the professional organizations that there is a problem with burnout. Now, it may seem a little ironic that we're saying, well, we introduced a bunch of technology into healthcare that created burnout, and now we're saying more technology you know, should be used to, to help that. But that is indeed what a lot of people are saying. We created this burden on, on clinicians for data entry and so on. And now it turns out that using deep learning, we can do things like uh, alleviating the uh, amount of information that people have to enter into systems by streamlining uh, systems, by avoiding repetition, by prioritizing alarms that uh, create you know, alarm fatigue that's a contributor to, to burnout. And then you know, maybe a little farther out, but it's actually starting to happen in some places already, is this idea what uh, Nuance calls uh, ambient computing. Right? It's a, a smart speaker type setup where instead of having a human scribe, which some institutions have uh, resorted to because the, the clinicians are just too overworked, so you have a, a scribe 
entering information into the clinical systems instead of the, the clinician, well, this is something that can be done through uh, NLP, right? You know, natural language processing. So the whole conversation can flow more naturally and the, uh, the system can be populated with the right information without having the, uh, the clinician stare into the screen all the time. There are, of course, a lot of issues, you know, will everybody accept it on the clinical side and the patient side? But those are just some examples. I mean, I could go on and on. I, I love this stuff. It's fascinating, but I know we don't have all day. But oh, it's, it's, it's so, I mean, it's so obvious how much you, how passionate you are about this. And, you know, it's a, it's a difficult, it's a difficult topic. And everything that we've talked about today seems difficult to accomplish Personally, I believe it doesn't have to be, right? I think companies like NetApp uh, give us the ability to make this easier. So I'm, you know, I'm excited for the things you're doing. I'm excited for the things that NetApp is doing to help, not just in this immediate fight, but to help long-term uh, how we use data to solve these big, complex problems. Yeah, and thank you for saying that. I, I also think uh, companies like Logicalis are key. This is about, it's a team effort, right? This is not about, NetApp or really any one other company. We're, this is really about the healthcare system. This is about the data scientists and the doctors who are working together to improve patient care. So keeping that in mind, all we're saying is we can be a good partner. We have something that's good that we can bring to the table to help that. And you know, Logicalis is the same thing. You guys have vast expertise and, and you can deploy systems and architect them so that uh, these these uh, projects can actually happen because otherwise they may never they may never take off because one thing is to have a good idea another thing is to implement it of course and implement it effectively so i think the the conversation that we're having is important and it's important that we have these alliances in the marketplace where we recognize that we just want to be good partners to the people who are doing the the real work and that we just want to set things up for them to to be effective and then we we don't want the spotlight right we want them to have the spotlight and then we want to be able to tell the story to other people so they realize what is possible so that's really my my hope for all of this and i'm i'm really happy that netup and logicalis can work together in this way yeah and and you guys are such an awesome partner and we we love working with you um so Esteban, as we as we do on each episode of uh, of the podcast, we want to know a little bit more about you, other than the the uh, the weightlifting, powerlifting side of things. And the way we do that here on this show is through movies. Uh, movies play a pretty significant role in shaping technology. Uh, I, for one, am missing sitting in a movie theater with a bucket of popcorn thanks to the coronavirus. Uh, luckily, my wife, Lori, and uh, daughter, Violet, love the movies as much as I do, and we're making homemade popcorn and doing regular movie nights. Uh, the only thing missing is my eldest daughter, who is uh, quarantining, uh, Kirsten, who's quarantining up in the Philly area. What about you, movie fan? If so, what types of movies do you enjoy? Yeah, that's <laughs> love the question. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge movie fan, and maybe predictably, I love sci-fi. That's sort of my my number one since... I was a kid that was what I was drawn to. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of depictions of, of amazing technology. And I agree that in many, many cases, uh, movies really shape what uh, what we do. And just even if you're not a Trekkie, you, you, the, the idea of a tricorder, you know, there's research teams. I think there was a, 
a team out of Carnegie Mellon was actually trying to build a tricorder because the technology is starting to get there. And so it is really a two-way street. This is not like some crazy person making a movie and nothing nothing else sort of changes because of that. It, it informs the people who then become scientists. And so I, I really love that interplay. Oh, that's great. So give me a couple of your favorite movies, like AI type movies or sci-fi type movies. Yeah, so there are... There are a lot, and, and uh, interestingly, AI has uh, been a part of sci-fi for a long time. So I would have to say 2001, right? That, that is kind of the canonical example of sci-fi with, you know, Hal and kind of what happens with, with you know, AI run amok. And certainly that's maybe the darker side, but uh, it's, I think it's important because a lot of people do have some fear about this, and it's important to explore that without being Pollyanna. Um, on the other side, there's a movie, I don't know if you've seen, it's called Robot and Frank. It's about a, a, an older gentleman and his uh, robot helper. And uh, that shows kind of the, the flip side of that. Of course, not all AI is about robots. Again, it's just, you know, movie making tends to like robots. Of course, Hal wasn't a robot. Um, and then maybe... Yeah, Blade Runner, I would have to say, is, is the, the original Blade Runner, the Matrix movies. Uh, even, I don't know if you saw another one called Her. It's about kind of an AI that, that is a little more closer to what we may end up having. So, yeah, there's so many examples of, of really interesting depictions of AI movies. Yeah, I'm a big, big sci-fi fan, like you said, predictably as well. And um, I will say uh, Her was a fabulous movie. Uh, love the original Blade Runner. And then um, you also mentioned 2001. But you, AI is so prevalent in movies, everything, even some of the newer movies like Captain Marvel, uh, some of the um, some of the things around uh, Marvel's Avengers. So it's pretty it's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. The Iron Man suit. I mean, I, I forget what the AI is called, but the, the AI in the suit, that's uh, another really interesting one. And even uh, Wally. You know about the post-apocalyptic, you know, Earth where you know, there's trash everywhere. Anyway, it's very interesting. Yep. So I think you're talking about a couple, couple different ones. Uh, so that so you've got uh, Friday and Jarvis uh, from from the Iron Man movies, which are some of my favorites. But I digress. Esteban, it has been awesome to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Uh, AI is obviously a, a topic you're passionate about, a topic I'm passionate about. It's, it has the ability to, to unlock new technologies. It has the ability to shape society and cure diseases like we're talking about now. But it has to be done in a way that's ethical. And what we like to talk about here is how we use data for good. So we're glad that you can join us. I hope you and your loved ones stay healthy. And thanks again. Thank you so much. And yes, hope everybody stays safe and healthy. And thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, please make sure you subscribe to the IoT Trajectory on SoundCloud or Apple iTunes. Stay safe, wash your hands, and make sure that you're doing what you can to help stop the spread of COVID-19. This is Mike Trajecki reminding you to go out there, be the disruptor, and use data for good. Thank you for joining us for the IoT Trajectory, a Logicalis IoT podcast series brought to you by Logicalis, an international IT solutions and managed services provider. Please join us for updates. 
To learn more, visit Logicalis' website at www.us.logicalis.com or contact your host, Mike Trajecki, directly at mike.trajecki at us.logicalis.com. 